Welcome to the See My Grief podcast, a Conversations with Kelly production. I'm your host, Kelly Grosslogs, and I want to welcome you to this community where my intention is for those that listen can experience healing, safety, hope, and possibility. This is a space where all grief matters. I want you to feel seen and heard and embraced. To all of you, welcome. Again, welcome. Today we have this amazing woman named Donna Sherman from the Dougie Center. And Donna, it's a pleasure to actually talk with you because I have followed you as a colleague out there that we have not met personally, but I have followed you and have admired your work. And I welcome everybody to the See My Grief podcast. I am your host, Kelly Grosslogs. And today we are going to be talking about children's grief and awareness with kiddos and even teens, something that I think kids get written off as they're so resilient and that we don't necessarily pay enough attention or we try to protect the kids too much. So I brought in one of the nation's experts on childhood grief. Donna, one of the things that I get asked a lot about, whether in my practice or just as a clinician, is how do I talk to kids and do I talk to kids? And what's, I'm sure you get asked that all the time too, but what's kind of your your general answer to that when it comes to a death? Well, first of all, Kelly, thanks for having me on. It's really a pleasure to to meet you virtually, and hopefully we will meet in person at some point. Absolutely. In answer to that question, should we tell children, what should we tell children? I want to go back to what you started with, really, which is often what prevents us from being open and honest with children, particularly about death, is our own discomfort as adults. Because children aren't inherently uncomfortable with asking questions about death or what happened until they sense that it isn't okay among adults. So if you look at two-year-old verbal two-year-olds or three, four, five-year-olds, they're pretty unedited on those kinds of things. Actually, my neighbor was telling me the other day, her four-year-old who's in preschool, the teacher had told their class that her dog was dying. Mm. And... The weekend happened, and they had little meetings with each child. And this child, kids are saying to the teacher, like, how are you doing? And how's Fluffy? And and my neighbor's daughter goes in and sits down. She cuts right to the chase, and she says, is your dog dead yet? <laughs> you know, and, and actually know. the teacher told her mom and said, it was kind of refreshing, really. So in direct response to your question, I would say, Children do best when adults are honest with them about what they know and what they don't know. Yeah. Giving them information as they ask and as they're able to incorporate it. So don't give them more than they're Mm -hmm. ready or asking for because it's like having a giant meal and you can't eat all that at once. But nibble along and answer to make them see that it's okay for me to ask any questions and you'll answer them when I'm ready for them. So we know that we know developmentally there's differences, right? I often will get called about the teenager who 
the teenager being 15, 16, 17, who doesn't want to talk about it? How do you lean into that with parents or grandparents? Because that is a very common reaction, right? Very common. And I think we have to recognize developmentally that teenagers, unless prior to a death, there are some teenagers, you know, we can't lump them all together, right. but, but we can say that it is not unusual for teenagers to not have their parents or necessarily grandparents be their go-to people when they have issues. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to that, but a lot of times the peer relationships, the friends, are the ones that kids will go to. And if they have friends who are open and want to hear and can hear, then that's one thing. But Mm -hmm. we hear at Dougie Center from a lot of teens, for example, I remember a boy being asked, is it hard for you to talk about your father's death with people? And his father died of suicide. Mm -hmm. And the boy responded, it's not hard for me to talk about, but it seems to be really hard for people to hear. Wow. Talk about perceptive. Yeah, I I thought so too. And he said, another thing that he said was, uh, he was asked how, in your mind, how is it different in terms of how people respond that your father died of suicide versus a heart attack or a car crash or something? And he thought for a second and he said, well, I think when someone dies of suicide, it gives people just a lot more ways to be insensitive. Hmm. (laughs) Wow. That's, a, I mean, that's very insightful. You know, Donna, as, as I was sharing with you, my mom, Sandy, died, she was 33, died of a sudden heart attack. Well, actually, she had a heart attack, but then lived another three months in an ICU. As an 11-year-old, I remember doing everything I could to not be the girl whose mom died. Um, in, right? in school, I, I didn't want to talk about it. When I would meet new friends, I would kind of try to skirt around the issue of not having a mom that was alive. For those kind of young adults listening or even teens listening to this, what do you say in response to that? Because we see that so often, right? So they come to the Dougie Center, they come to a grief center, they come to a therapist, and they can speak openly about it. But what do you say to kids or teens more so who go to these social gatherings or school and they don't want to talk about it because then they feel they can feel guilty for not wanting to talk about it. But what responses have you had? Well, I would approach it, I think, from a slightly different angle, which is to say, what would I ask them about rather than what would I tell them? You know, so I would encourage, for example, to say, what's it like when you see other kids with their mother mm-hmm. or are there kids in or do you have friends who you can talk to that's a i think that's an important one is there somebody in your life yeah. that you can talk to openly and honestly who accepts you and and to some degree understands what you're going through of mm-hmm. course none of us can 100% understand we're going through ourselves let alone what anyone else is going that's through right. right that's it's, right it's a process of learning But I think I would be more inclined because there are often a lot of good reasons that kids aren't talking about it or don't want to be open. And adults sometimes are surprised at how kids can be made fun of Mm -hmm. or can. And even if they're not being made fun of, just trying to fit in, feeling very different, navigating 
this new reality in your life because it isn't just, as you know, Kelly, it's not just your mother died and you were 11. It's all the other things that that changed in your life in addition to her not being able to be there. That's right. That's a lot to navigate for an 11-year-old. Well, and at best, those age groups are hard, right? Of fitting in and already feeling different for whatever reason. I love your approach to that, asking kind of that open-ended question also, you know, what does that feel like? And one of the things I get asked, I'd be curious your take on it, kind of jumping back now to the kiddos, is preparing a child to go to a memorial service or a funeral. So I get asked that a lot, of course, and I work with local funeral homes here on that issue. But that well-intended adult of wanting to protect and actually what we know is that can cause more harm by not allowing them to participate if they want to. How do you work with families on preparing a child to attend these events? I think it's all about informed choice. So I'll give you a very short example. I had a good friend who died of breast cancer. She and I were in treatment together, and she she had just had a baby, and she lived to till her son was five years old. Mm-hmm. And her parents and her husband asked me to be part of planning a service, and they're like, "Should we have our son be, you know, her son be there? He's five. And I said, well, here's, here's what I think you should do. First, you talk about, as you know, mommy died. We're getting together, everybody who loved her, or a lot of people who loved her, and there's going to be a lot of people. And we're going to come to this place, whatever it's called, you know, living in Richmond Center, the funeral home, wherever it is. And we're going to be in a big room. And we're going to show pictures of mommy. We're, a lot of people are going to wear Hawaiian clothes because she loved Hawaii, as you know, and we're going to play Hawaiian music and show pictures of her. This is a big room. The walls are blue and it has brown carpeting. Okay. You know, like everything you can. When the child gets there, they're like, yeah, this is what you told me it would be. And then you say, and some people will laugh occasionally. Some people will cry. I think I'll cry because I miss mommy so much. And I know you do too. And we're going to sit wherever we're going to sit. You tell the child and you say, and you have an assigned person that that child trusts, like Uncle Donnie will be sitting with us and you. And if at any time you need to leave or you can go in the back, we're going to have a little play area for some of the kids. You just tell Uncle Donnie and he'll take you. And so the boy shows up and he's like, yeah, blue walls, you know, brown carpet. Yes, pictures. And this little boy actually, much to the surprise of his father and grandparents, when I was asking if anyone wanted to share memories, he raises his hand. His father and his grandparents are like shocked. In fact, when he's walking up to the podium where I'm standing with a microphone, his dad's walking up with him saying, are you sure, buddy? Are you sure? Because he's a shy kid. And he got up there and he just said, my mom was really nice. And he burst into tears. And he said, I'm really sad that she's dead. And everybody in the room got choked up. Yeah. And then I just looked at him and I said, your mom was really nice. And you're really sad that she's dead. And he's like, yeah. And then he walked back to his seat. And I said, we're all really sad that she's dead. That's why we're here, because we loved her. You know, just reinforcing to him. That's so beautiful, Donna. So just really, and, and, and simplistic, right? 
not overcomplicating the words with him, using his words. Yeah. And also saying, you know, if you can to say in advance, I wouldn't probably say in advance, you might get a chance to talk because they didn't even believe it was possible. Right. So just whatever you can do to physically prepare them and also give them choices around clothing to wear. You know, it's so powerless. It's a powerless feeling for adults when someone we love, care about dies, and we just feel powerless. There was nothing we could do. So we can only begin to imagine what it's like for a child who already doesn't have a lot of power in their lives because everybody else is making decisions for them frequently. So don't get hung up on the fact that they don't want to wear a tie. Right. Right. Let them have some choice. You know, you're using which as a grief therapist, I, I want to point out your choice of words, died. Yes. Versus, can we talk a little bit about euphemisms? We can. And, you know, I also believe we have to be culturally sensitive. Absolutely. I was just going to say that. Because there are people, my mother was one of them. She died at 91 and a half. And she said, when I die, I want you to say that I passed on. Uh-huh. Yep. Because I believe I'm passing on from this world to the next world. Yeah. And that's how I want to frame it. I'm not going to say to her, no, mom, you have to say died. Right. You know, <laughs> I believe in using the, you know, letting people use whatever language they want to use. But at some point with children, they can become confused if you, very young children, if you say things like passed on or no mm-hmm. longer here or expired or any of those yeah. terms, yeah. they may not really understand what dead is. Again, it depends on the developmental and experiential age of the child. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because, right, we do know some cultures and ethnic groups use different. I think that's exactly why I wanted to bring this up because I worked with a kiddo who was told grandma got sick and then went to sleep forever. And so we know what that can do possibly, right? It can, when the child gets a sore throat next time and a fever could possibly have some anxiety about going to sleep. Yeah, and exactly. so, right. And so, and sometimes, you know, well-intended adults, I think we use euphemisms for things because it makes us feel comfortable too. But yeah. thank you for saying that about confusion because kiddos can get confused and they can wonder about it. So, you know, and we know that pets or a, a birdie that dies or something that dies is a good opportunity to lean in with that child in the beginning of their life, or if they see a a bug that has been squashed, you know, we can take those opportunities, you know, because my kids would tease me now, they'll be like, oh, everything was an example or a continuing ed workshop or, you know, or (laughs) my life was a continuing ed workshop. Exactly. Like I would walk around with them trying to find dead bugs, you know, and things. (laughs) So, I think you're right, though. Utilizing those opportunities as they occur to explain, you know, dead means you can't talk anymore, you can't poop, you can't eat, you can't laugh, you know, and and then kids will ask, well, where do you go then? You know, where is he? And that's where I think people sometimes don't do a good job because either they don't know what they believe or they don't just haven't really dealt with that. So people will say, is it okay to say, mommy's in heaven? And I say, of course, if that's what you believe. 
Right, right. But I wouldn't say it just to stop the conversation if you don't believe that. You, you could say, when you die, you die, that's the end of things. Or you could say, I don't really know, or I believe you, you become another person, or there's a whole range of things. But what you say to your kids, especially younger kids who are trying to make sense of all of this, they will take quite literally. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I, again, I have a, another, the sister of the my neighbor that was talking about, one of my cats died, and she knew the cat had died and all, and her mother told her when cats die, they go to stars. They're in stars up in the sky. Okay. And so, weeks later, she's driving with her daughter who was five, and her daughter says, uh, Mommy, does stars have doors? Mm. And, you know, it's out of left field for her mom. Like, what do you mean, honey? And she said, well, how will Sheba, my cat, get out of the star if she's stuck in it? Very good question. And her mom was like, oh, wow, she actually believes me and (laughs) paid attention because I just said that, you know? Yeah. And it's so interesting because this is the same family where the teacher has a dog that's dying and they say, all dogs go to heaven. And I'm like, yep. well, where do cats go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's the book on that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. If you could talk a little bit, and I definitely want to save time for you to talk about the Dougie Center, but can you talk when you see kids come in to the Dougie Center, what, and I know this is a general question, and I know it also depends on culture. I know it depends on development and all those things. But what do you see is some of the some of the top fears in these little bereaved kiddos who have lost somebody important to them? A lot of them have fear for the future. You know what will happen. A lot of things financially, potentially, or will my mom, my dad, regardless of whether they've had a sibling die or a parent die you know, will my parent or parents be okay? Mm -hmm. All kinds of questions about fitting in with other kids. And again, depending on age and developmental experience and all of that, but like no one will be there to cheer me on in soccer or who would be there at my graduation. We have kids who maybe played soccer and their, one of their parents was, came to all their games or maybe even was a coach and they don't want to play anymore because it's too painful. I think people don't always recognize un- until they've experienced it or see that through friends or neighbors or family members, all the ripple effects that the death of a parent or the death of a sibling cause in a family and how, and those are changes that are forever changes that have implications. That's right, Donna. And all those secondary losses, I think, do you recommend then that a parent or a grandparent or an aunt ask children what you're scared of? Because they may not have the ability to come to like a Dougie Center. They may live in an area that doesn't have grief support. I would say I try to follow their leads rather than, because a lot of kids, if you just bring things out of the blue, like, oh, is there anything you're scared of? Like, no, why? Are you afraid that I'm afraid of something? A lot of them are trying to stay under the radar so that they don't make anything worse. Yes. And so I think some of those things can happen through, through sharing books. If it's a family that reads books, that finds that as a helpful tool. I mean, one of my favorite books is called When Dinosaurs Die. Oh, yeah. 
It's it's a great little book. Dougie Center has some kids workbooks. There are other methods to let them know that they can express what they're going through if they don't have access to a local support group. Or mm-hmm. I think though one of the things that is so helpful about the support groups is that kids get to be with other kids, and in those groups they're not different. Yes. Yes. In that they have this shared something. And for a lot of them, it means they can play, they can laugh. Absolutely. Without feeling judged or feeling guilty. So no. your answer is just spot on. That's exactly because I, I have over the years watched parents trying to ch- well intended again, but try to check off boxes. What are you scared of? What are you worried about? What is this? And I love what you're suggesting about those can feel out of the blue. Those questions. Talk a little bit as we're wrapping this up, talk a little bit about the Dougie Center and how, and I'll definitely put the link in the show notes. We're going to be releasing this around the week of November 17th. For those that are listening, that's the um, Children's Grief Awareness Day. I think every day should be a Children's Grief Awareness, but it's uh, (laughs) it's the the marked one. And so this will be really great timing, Donna. And it's going to be so helpful. I can already tell by your answers. But can you tell us a little bit about the Dougie Center and how people can access it and maybe why people would? Well, I'll just say it's named after a boy named Dougie who was dying of an inoperable brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And he was such an example to our founder, Beverly Chapel, because he would go around in the hospital to other kids who also had advanced serious illnesses and say, it's... It just doesn't feel fair that we're not going to ever get to graduate from high school. And have you ever kissed a girl? And he just made it okay for them to talk with each other while the adults around them were just almost sometimes paralyzed because of, of the sadness of it. And so Dougie was the lived experience example of kids talking to other kids. So we've been around 1920, uh, 2022 is our 40th year. Congratulations. And we have helped to train and, and start. They're all independent, but programs throughout the United States and into parts of Africa, Italy, Germany. I like to say other foreign places like Los Angeles. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I can say that because I'm on the left coast, but... <laughs> We have a lot of resources on our website, which is Dougie.org, D-O-U-G-Y dot org. Definitely dozens, maybe even into the hundred now. Tip sheets that tend to be kind of two to four pages, some for parents, some for around teens, uh, some are activities for kids, some are for schools. They're all free and downloadable. We have our own podcast, Grief Out Loud, with Janet DeCristofaro, and a lot of other resources on our website. So I would encourage. Yeah, and uh, please check out Grief Out Loud. It's a fantastic podcast. Yeah, it thank really you. is. And I'll put all those links on. When someone says, Donna, what do you do for work? Of course, I'm sure everybody knows Donna. But let's say, they, <laughs> let's say what do you do for work? And then you tell them and then generally, oh, that must be so sad and takes a special person and all those things we hear. If you could sum up why you do this work in a couple sentences, what would it be? Well, I think it's, I don't overuse this word, Kelly. I think it's a sacred honor 
to accompany people, whether they're three-year-olds, 30-year-olds, or, you know, 50-year-olds, in these raw times in their lives when they are kind of broken open, if you mm-hmm, will, mm-hmm. that their assumptions have been have been smashed of how yeah. they thought life would be and their life in particular. Yes. And those are also opportunities for sharing, for growth, for feeling understood. And I think the essence of the work that I do and have done over these years is to listen, to listen without judgment, to not give advice unless it is asked for, and even then carefully, and to help people have the opportunity to be heard and understood. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I often will say to people, listen to hear them, not respond, right? To really hear them, because that's what that's what we want. And I, again, Donna, I think I could listen to you for three hours. <laughs> I want to just say, Kelly, I did an article one time called, Don't Just Say Something, Stand There. <laughs> wow. Because people say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, and I Stop thinking about what to say and listen. <laughs> yes, be present. Is that an article people can access? I don't know. I'm going to have to try to dig it up. I it, it was a long time ago. Like okay, maybe that is a fa- that makes you think. That title maybe twenty makes, years. Okay, <laughs> that makes I can you dig think. It up, but if I can, I'll that makes I'll it, send you the link. I want to see that, Donna. Again, on behalf of the grieving children in this world and the parents and the grandparents who love them and the siblings, myself, thank you for joining us. Again, I will put the links for the Dougie Center on the show notes. A shout out to and a, a big gratitude to Brighter Days Grief Center here in the Twin Cities for sponsoring this episode. And for all of you that tune in to See My Grief podcast, thank you, be well, and we will chat with you next time. Thank you for listening to the See My Grief podcast. It is my hope that this episode resonated for you on some level and that you feel less alone, more hopeful, and gained insight. These episodes are not to be seen as a substitute for medical attention or psychological treatment. Please see your licensed providers for individual needs. Thank you so much for sharing and subscribing to this podcast so that we can continue to grow our sacred community. I will talk with you next time, friends, and please know this, I see your grief.